Welcome to Season 3 of How About We Do This Together, a podcast of the Northwest Christian Network. Season 3 is based around the 2023 Northwest Christian Convention, happening in Turner from July 27th to July 2nd. Follow the link in the show notes to register before the convention and to watch the videos after the convention is over. I hope you enjoy today's episode as we talk about how we can do this thing called the church together. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of How About We Do This Together, a podcast of the Northwest Christian Network. This is season three, which is based around the uh, 2023 convention. And we're introducing you to the things that will be going on in the convention and the people who will be speaking. And today I'm really excited to introduce you to John Mark Hicks. He is going to be one of our two evening speakers that are going to trade off nights. And um, I first was connected with John Mark Hicks through some books that were recommended to me as I was studying for, I uh, just wanted to think more deeply about what happens when we do church. And it was actually through that study that my wife and I, Casey, who's my co-president, came to the uh, idea that we would like to see if he would be able to speak to us as we're going through Ephesians and talking about the significance of the church and what God is doing through the church. So I'm really excited to get to talk to him for uh, about half an hour, 45 minutes, and I'm especially excited to be able to share him with all of you. So without further ado, let's uh, get into it. Uh, Dr. Hicks, thank you so much for joining me. I'm happy to be here, and I appreciate the invitation, Matt. And you just call me John Mark. Uh, John I don't Mark, need that all right. doctor. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. Um, I we'll go, we'll go with be... the biblical name, right? The yeah, biblical name, yeah. John Mark. Do things in Bible ways, right? Yeah, exactly. I always prefer <laughs> to start with doctor and be told to use the first name than the other way around. <laughs> I understand yeah. that. That makes total sense. Uh, so, uh, John Mark, why don't you give our audience uh, an introduction to you, to where you come from, and what you do? Well, I was born in New Mexico, but I actually grew up in Virginia. My father and mother moved from the Texas Panhandle area to Virginia to plant a church. And so I grew up in a small church that grew and spent most of my life in Virginia different places in Virginia, as my father was a minister who moved to, to a couple of places. But we stayed on, we stayed in the East. I went to Fried Hardman College to become a preacher, and that's a small school in Henderson, Tennessee, uh, associated with Churches of Christ, one wing of the Stone Campbell movement. I then did some graduate work in theology and ultimately a PhD in historical theology, and graduating um, and well, I, I finished my coursework in 1982, started teaching full-time in 1982 in Alabama, and then ultimately at Harding Graduate School in Memphis, and last 22 years here at Lipscomb University in Nashville, Tennessee, and doing, um, basically I'm a professor of theology, I teach courses in theology, uh, and Bible as well, uh, but yeah, that's been my, my academic trajectory, uh, mm -hmm. But the other, the other part of me, uh, in addition to family, of course, um, is uh, kind of a missional idea. I've always been involved in a local church wherever I am. I wanted to be a missionary to begin with. That was my, that was my goal in high school, to be a missionary. 
uh, studied German and got a degree in German at college as well. And uh, so I wanted to go to Germany. But um, what put a hold on that is uh, my my wife of three years, almost three years, uh, passed away after a, a surgery. She was recovering from surgery and she had a blood clot. And so that changed plans. You know, I, I, I moved into the academy after that in terms of study and teaching and so I've been teaching in Churches of Christ in the educational world of Churches of Christ for 40 years. And this is the year of my retirement, actually. So oh, I'm wow. retiring this year. Congratulations. From, yeah, I hope it I hope it's, it works that way. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm hoping it will. I'm planning it for it to do that, but mm-hmm. won't retire from speaking and writing and things like that and being in the the local church where I, where I serve um, as, as just a member. I'm not on staff. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but I'm moving out of the academy and looking for reconnecting more intimately and more substantially uh, with the local environment and uh, be, be become, becoming a missional member of the community in ways that I couldn't do because I was in full-time teaching, you know? Yeah. And, and we all, str- we all struggle with that, right? I mean, people have full-time jobs and how do they connect with the church and how do they participate mm-hmm. in church life even as they have full-time jobs, right? Yeah. So that, that's a struggle for everybody, not, not just me. Yeah. yeah. Well, very cool. Um, yeah. Uh, as you were telling your story, it reminded me of two things. First of all, uh, the convention will not be your first visit to Oregon this year. That's great. Oh, uh, yeah, even actually, this year. That's right. Yeah. Um, you're going to be out for the Explorers Conference at Camp Wainema, um, which is going to have a completely different focus than what we're talking about at convention. Um, mm, right. Well, yeah. Because the, the, you actually wrote a book about your experience with grief. Um, yes. Uh, yet I will trust him, which right. Um, that was the first book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've had several. You know, I've done several things and, uh, re- related to suffering and providence and grief and grief care. I mean, one of the more recent books is Anchors for the Soul, uh, mm-hmm. which is published by Chad Harrington, um, and that one is really directly focused on walking through the experience of grief and finding our anchors in God's story. And how does that help us uh, persist in faith, persevere in faith uh, through the struggles? So, yeah, that's yeah. that's what the Explorers Conference is going to concentrate on, uh, is that sense of how do I continue in faith in the midst of tragedy and hurt and pain and chaos? And Well, yeah. we got enough chaos. We, we know what that is, right? Yeah, yeah. So anybody who is interested in that, if you go to the Explorers Conference, it's at Camp Wainema on the Oregon coast over Memorial Day weekend. So you get to spend a weekend on the coast, and uh, and John Mark will be there um, taking talking about everything he just said. And you can find out more about that at wainema.org. I'll put that link in the description. Yeah, well, thank you for, for expressing that. Yeah, two yeah. two trips to to Portland to Oregon and within about a month of each other. So that that's kind of exciting. Yeah, and, and full confession, they they got you first, and that was part <laughs> of what inspired us to reach out. So they get the credit. Uh, okay. um, Very good. 
So the other thing, and one of the things we, I learned not to take for granted is our audiences or even our churches familiarity with our movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all, it's, it's also kind of tricky to talk about because it's not a denomination, but it is a movement or a tradition. It's churches that have things in common. And so the majority of the churches that are, uh, we want the network and the convention to be open for all Christians, everybody who sure. follows Jesus. But it is sure. rooted in and, and primarily populated by people from the Stone Campbell tradition, which there's several branches of now. There's the Disciples of Christ, the Christian churches, and the Churches of Christ. It gets complicated because one of the values is not using denominational names so we just want to be Christians, but then it gets hard when you start right. dividing. Um, and our most of the people who are connected with the, or most of the churches that are connected with the network now are from that middle stream. But ultimately, the mission of the network is to connect with all Christians, but uh, first of all, to try and connect with those three different branches. So we're really excited to be having a speaker from uh, the Churches of Christ um, to uh, speak and to uh, help remind us all of that connection, even though it's not like going to be a topic of the speak of the speaking, but it's just um, it's a value of ours that we want to make those connections. So, well, and I'm I'm honored to be, to participate, and I'm grateful for the invitation. Uh, I think there is a great need for cross fertilization, and I've been involved in that process with the Stone Campbell Journal and. Stone Campbell Conference and different things um, that I've experienced in terms of sharing life with people in Christian churches and even disciples of Christ. So I'm yeah. I'm very hopeful. Yeah. That there's 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 a there's some common ground there, not only historically but but also in terms of our commitments in faith. Uh, yeah. That we can find some common ground. Yeah. One of the things that I learned about Oregon is because. We're kind of separate. It's funny, if you look at like a map of Stone Campbell churches, it's really concentrated in the east and especially the south. And then there's this pocket in Oregon because of the Oregon Trail. And the, Mm. um, the divisions that happened historically were not quite as deep out here. Um, And so I still know families with members in multiple branches and, and things like that. And yeah, when you're thinking about the 1850s, those, those the the future divisions are not quite in place right? yeah. in the 1850s with the Oregon Trail, right? Yeah. Okay. If I got my date right about that. Did I misspeak? Uh, no, no, no. You're right. There? Yeah. <laughs> so when people came o- when when the people came over on the Oregon Trail, they hadn't split yet, and so okay. and the splits were primarily happening in the east, and so right. Oregonians and that was followed. in the 1850s, right? The Oregon Trail group was yeah. primarily locating there in the 1850s. You know? Yeah, for, uh, was, yeah. Pr- before the Civil War, before the the big cracks emerged in the movement. Yeah, yeah. So that makes it for an interesting place to to live in community with each other uh, mm-hmm. before all those things start breaking up. Yeah, yeah, and Which so is unfortunate. Actually, yeah, um, but. The, uh, the convention actually predates those splits. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah, because yeah. this is the 171st. So okay. when when the convention started, there were no splits. Uh, and right. so that's why okay. it's part of our DNA to try and um, um, resist that, you know, to try and well, stay that's, open. Wow, that's great. So, yeah. I'm glad to know that. Okay, so... Um, 
you you've written on a lot of different things. We've talked about your writing on on grief, and um, but you've also what I primarily connected with you on was your writing, um, especially this book called A Gathered People, revisioning the assembly as a transforming encounter, and you wrote this with Johnny Melton and Bobby Valentine. And I found this book to be very, very helpful in understanding uh, what it means to be the church and what we're doing as a church, and also to um, appreciate the value of church, because we get so many metrics of how to judge a church. Um, yeah. You judge it by how, how big the building is, how modern the worship is, how many people are getting baptized, or how many people are showing up, and all these different things. And... Um, I was really encouraged by reading your book, and I guess I would say it it encourages a sacramental view of what is happening in the church, which sacrament is sometimes feels foreign to us in yeah. uh, more evangelical circles. But so I guess I uh, let's start there. Um, what does it mean to say that the gathering, when we gather together as a church, that we are participating in a sacrament, and how is that? What's the history of that in our movement? Yeah. Well, you know, there's a discussion uh, in free, among free churches, like Baptist, Stone Campbell churches, and so on, about ordinance versus sacrament. And ordinance is something, you know, we are, we're given a practice that is ordained for us, commanded for us, and so we engage the practices as a matter of obedience. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think that's very appropriate to talk about ordinance. But there's also the other dimension, and that's the sacramental. Uh, and sometimes the ordinance is set over against the sacrament, as if they're two different things, or, or that uh, if you have one, you can't have the other. I, I think it's a both and here. And here's what I would mean by saying the assembly is a sacrament. That is, God calls God's people together to assemble, to be a people, a gathered people. And in that space of the gathered people, God is doing something. Now, we're doing something that's part of the ordinance, right? I mean, we're singing, we're praying, we're listening to the word, we're communing around a table, we're remembering, we're proclaiming. I mean, we're doing a lot of things. It's an active, participatory moment. But to raise the question of sacrament is to ask the question, okay, where's the mystery here? Mm-hmm. What is God doing in this moment? I mean, is, is God kind of a, a spectator? Is God kind of the mere audience? And a lot of times we talk about worship and, and assembly as God is the audience. And there's some sense in which that's true because we are singing to the Lord, right? And we're praying to the Lord. So God is receiving in that moment. But I would also want to suggest that God is giving in that moment as well. That God is doing something. Mm-hmm. So a, a really critical question that the, that the word sacrament raises is, what is God doing when we assemble in what way is God active when we assemble? So that our gathering is not just a social club, right? It's not just a kind of mutual edification society or something like that. 
but rather it is an encounter with God. And that's that transforming encounter that's in the title of the book. It's mm -hmm. trying to get at that point that when we assemble, God is present, and God is present not as a, a spectator, but God is present as an active participant in the mm -hmm. assembly. That doesn't mean God we're, God's worshiping us. Don't, don't mix the language here. I mean, God's yeah. not worshiping us. We're worshiping right. God, but God is also active in transforming and sanctifying. Mm -hmm. So that would be the sacramental dimension, is a, a sense of God's presence, God's active presence, in which God is uh, transforming us into God's own image. Mm -hmm. And that that's part of what's going on in the assembly. And, yeah. And when we pray and sing and other things, those practices are not um, are not kind of isolated things. They are part of the activity of the Spirit of God among us. We sing in the Spirit. We pray in the Spirit. We hear the Word of God by the Spirit, right? And the Spirit is at work. And so God is actively transforming us through these practices because God is present. And not just present, and this would be part of the point here, is that since it's a communal gathering, it's not just like God is present when you're out in the trees alone. God's present there too. You know, mm -hmm. God's present in our, in our bodies. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. So God is present in so many ways, transformatively working on us. The point here is that when we gather as a community, it's a communal encounter with God. Mm -hmm. And that's different than being yeah. alone with God. Because yeah. a communal encounter means we're mutual in this moment. And mm -hmm. God is forming community. He's not just forming persons. He's forming community. You know, God is at work for the sake of the body and mm -hmm. in the body and present to the body. And so I think there's something unique about uh, assembly. And when I'm talking about assembly, I'm not just talking about a Sunday morning assembly, although that's what we typically are framing it with. Yeah. I think when, when, the, when the people of God gather for the conference, mm -hmm. and we're gathered there listening to, listening to the Word of God from Ephesians, and we're singing and we're praying, that to me is assembly. <laughs> it's yeah. not just Sunday morning assembly, it's assembly. And God is present and active and doing something to form us into God's own image. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and as you're talking about that difference between ordinance and sacrament, I think that uh, one of the things that I appreciated in your book was you showed that that actually comes naturally out of the kind of values that our movement has. And, and mm. so, for instance, we... Ordinance and sacrament is already one of the things that differentiates Stone Campbell churches from Baptists, for instance, because sure. we take a more sacramental view of baptism. Whereas yeah. I was raised that baptism is strictly a ceremony. It's something that you do that publicly declares something, but it's that's all it is. It's it's no more spiritual really than your your graduation or your wedding. Well, a wedding. There's other questions, but. Um, one of the first things that 
um, I was struck by when I joined a Christian church and started talking about um, how we read the Bible is how the Bible doesn't talk about it that way. The Bible talks mm. about it as something happening to us that God is active in that moment. And the same thing with communion, right? And, and so we're, we tend to be more comfortable with saying God is present in a special way in baptism and communion. It sounds like right. you're saying that, that that same logic applies to when we gather, that that's a, a third sacrament, a third way in which God is present because he's promised mm. to be. Is that right? And, and this is this is the historic position of the Christian church, by the way. And I mean mm-hmm. Christian church in terms of 2,000 years. Right. Um, when you think about the Eastern church, they, they actually decorate their building with icons in such a way that you think that when you gather, you're gathering in heaven. You're gathering in the space where the saints are and where the angels are and where Christ is, that you're entering that space. It's an entrance into the heavenly kingdom. So that's mm-hmm. where you are. There's something unique. There's something special about that. Uh, yeah. And I think you could say the similar thing about the Western church in terms of the mass and so on. Mm-hmm. But even in our tradition, in Churches of Christ or Stone Campbell Movement or Christian Church, um, Alexander Campbell was very insistent on what he called the sanctification of the Lord's day. Mm-hmm. That is, he thought, for example, he wrote an article in 1839 called Worshiping Assemblies, in which he says, this is where God meets us. God meets us here. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the, ho- the assembly of the body of Christ. The Spirit dwells in each of us, for sure. But when the body of Christ assembles, there's a sense of communal experience of the Spirit and of mm-hmm. the presence of God. And so he was quite insistent on there's something unique happening here that people ought to feel different about that. He actually uses the word feeling, which is not all that common for Campbell, but he says yeah. <laughs> we ought to feel something here, you know, uh, feel the divine presence. And that's why he was very, very strict. I mean, this would be totally different from our culture and the way we think about things. But for Campbell, uh, he came out of the Scottish Presbyterian world where it was very somber and very sad and dark in some ways, uh, very legal kind of. And he wanted to inject joy into the assembly. Now, Mm -hmm. we can understand that one. Yeah. But what he also wanted to do when when he injected joy, he wanted that joy to come out of the sense of God's presence, mm-hmm. not out of the levity of, of the preacher joke or something. Right? Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, so he was very much against the levity and the, you know, the stylishness of assemblies. He was very focused on, look, our assemblies ought to generate joy, but they generate joy because we're living and experiencing and worshiping in the presence of God. And it's that presence that that is transformative uh, for Campbell. And, and I think that's a pretty good, you know, it's in his own social context, of course, and, yeah. and so it's limited in some ways. But, but I think the theological point is that when we gather, all of our emotions are driven not by, um, you know, the performance but are driven by the presence. And that's a very different thing. It's not to say they can't overlap in some way, of course. 
Yeah. Because we do want excellence in singing, we do want excellence mm-hmm. in speaking, and we do want excellence in, in you know, in, in our liturgy. Uh, but we don't want the excellence to, to become the focus. Yeah. The, the focus has to be the experience of God in the assembly. So I tell my students, I can go to the most boring assembly around. I mean, it can just bore me to tears. But I can still be transformed. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because God is present. Yeah. God's not bored. God's yeah. <laughs> at work. Right? Yeah. God's at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, I remember talking in the sermon series that your book inspired about um, I started like my, my, when I preached on preaching, I talked, I kind of answered the question of why should you bother coming to listen to your local preacher when you can watch something more interesting, mm, you know, a yeah. thousand more uh, bigger production value services online. And uh, what is the value in participating in your church's worship? Um, mm. And so um, that just kind of leads me into the next question which is a two-part question. So the first part is, what does God, and you, you've addressed this somewhat so far, but what does God do during the gathering of his church on a Sunday morning? And then the second part that mm-hmm. I'll ask will be, um, how does that shape the way we judge the success of a service to, right. um, or how we, how we reflect on our service? It, you know, Because so often we say, well, I got something out of it or I didn't get something out of it. Or we judge it by that kind of metric. Um, so, the first part is, what does God do in the church when we gather? Well, those are those are good questions. I really really like those questions because I think that first question is kind of at the heart of it. What is God doing now? When we're sitting at the table at communion, we tend to focus on what we're doing, right? We tend mm-hmm. to focus on, okay, I'm thinking about Christ and I'm remembering and I'm eating and I'm drinking. And we don't typically think about, okay, what is God doing at this table? And God is hosting this table, right? God is sharing God's own life at this table, body and blood. I mean, in the, through Jesus. Uh, God is communing with us at this table, mm-hmm. uh, sharing fellowship with us. God is forming us at this table. We're being formed so that we can become bread for the world, just as we're eating this bread that God, that is bread for the life of the world, as John 6 says. So I think we can talk about the Lord's Supper in a lot of ways in terms of what God is doing. And so that's one thing God is doing. But at a broader level, it seems to me that God is delighting, for one thing. God is enjoying. Think about mm-hmm. Zephaniah 3. You know, I will sing over you. I will rejoice yeah. over you. Mm-hmm. Um, even when we think about Jesus, Jesus is participating with us. Mm-hmm. You know, Psalm 22 that he quoted on the cross is quoted in Hebrews 2, where he says, I will sing, you know, I will proclaim your praise in the congregation of the people. So yeah. even Christ is present to, to sing with us. You know, we're mm-hmm. not just singing with the angel, we're singing with Christ and, yeah. uh, in the praise of the Father. So delighting, rejoicing, communing, transforming, making community. That's part of what's happening there. That mm-hmm. it is the unity of the spirit that is being expressed. And not just expressed in terms of a witness, but expressed in terms of a formative power. That's why, you know, if you're able, 
you you join a community. You become part of a community. If you're shut in and you're online, the spirit still works, I think. But mm-hmm. there's a sense in which gathering with people forms us and that the power of the spirit can form us. I have to get along with people, you know. Yeah. I just can't isolate myself. Mm-hmm. I have to learn how to have some self-control. I have to have some patience with people and I have to learn how to forgive people and you know, I have that's part of being formed into the image of God. And if I'm not in a community, it's hard to learn those things. Um, you know, we can learn them in our marriages, hopefully, but there's also a sense in which the body of Christ together forms us in those ways as well. So the fruits of mm-hmm. the Spirit show up in the context of of the body of Christ when we assemble. Mm-hmm. Are we are we expressing those fruits of the Spirit, or are we expressing the works of the flesh when we gather? Yeah. And as as human beings, you know, we get a mix, right? Because mm-hmm. we're all a mix. Yeah. But hopefully, being in community helps us to be transformed uh, Mm -hmm. into the fullness of the sanctification. So God is ultimately, to use the biblical word, I guess God is ultimately sanctifying us in these communal moments, uh, communing with us, sanctifying us, and loving on us. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a worship song that says, you know, tell that I'm loving on my Lord. But I, I, I think that's true. We're loving on God, but God is also loving on us. Yeah. There's a sense in which in the assembly, God is embracing us hmm. and delighting in us. And um, I, God takes great joy when God's people assemble. Now, that's why he told Israel to assemble. That's one of the reasons he told Israel to assemble so often. Yeah. Uh, to have a regular rhythm to assembly so that God delights in the people as a gathered people, not just mm-hmm. as isolated individuals. Because we're not yeah. isolated individuals. We are persons, but we're not isolated because we're not built for isolation. We're built yeah. for social reality. And that and in church, assembly is one of the main contexts for that kind of socialization in the gospel, to be formed by the gospel in community. And God mm-hmm. does the forming. I don't do the forming. God does the forming. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder if that's, you know, you look at so much of the history of the church where our failures have been failures of uh, community. You know, like we, we, our fallen nature resists that. And so we argue and we divide. And when we're, we're not being the church, it's because we're resisting that call. Because mm. that's hard to, to, yes. to be family with people just because they love Jesus too. Not because we have anything else in common, but... We just, we're all children of the same father and they vote differently than me or they dress differently than me and I wouldn't right. hang out with them otherwise. And it's a hard calling. Yes, it is. I mean, that's Ephesians 4, right? Mm-hmm. We have a unity in the spirit, but that means we're going to have to forbear with one another, right? We have to be yeah. patient with one another. Uh, we have to forgive one another. And we're able to do that because we are one in the spirit already. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the process of sanctification as a community is for the spirit to become real and full in the in the life of the community. And that's a process. Um, that, that's undergoing communal sanctification. Right? We're, and just like persons, we're all in process. And mm-hmm. community is in process as well. Yeah. 
I you you said something that is um, you know it's it's part of our uh, heritage that um, I find really important to say that we we don't we don't have to be one we are one. Mm. That's you know that's a reality about us. So because you know so often when we go church shopping, we figure out who do we want to be our church family, and that's not biblically accurate. You know they if they're children of the same father, they are our family. And and that was that was a big deal to me to realize that you don't get to choose whether they're your brothers and sisters. Right. Um, you you might choose whether you're going to treat them that way. Right. Now that's an important point. We are one. We are already one in the spirit. Mm-hmm. Now we have to start acting like it. <laughs> that's the rub. <laughs> Becoming like it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so with that understanding of what happens in church, then we we take that to a moment, like for a minister, you know, I have on a Monday staff meeting and we say, hey, how did Sunday go? Um, For other people, as they are making their decision or continually reaffirming their decision to be part of a particular church body, they may come away from Sunday saying, hey, was that worth my time? Um, You know, did that was that meaningful? Is this worth doing? So how does that perspective inform the way we judge, for lack of a better word, the success of our worship service right. or of our church? Well, that's a, I think that's a really important question, too. And unfortunately, it seems to me that in, in our American culture particularly, we are so consumer-based so consumer driven that our metrics for success are are driven by that marketing uh Mm -hmm. did i enjoy that uh did it do something for me um did i what did did it sound pleasing to me you know Mm -hmm. Uh, those that whatever that consumer way of uh, framing it or assessing it I think that's fundamentally wrong-headed, fundamentally. Mm. And that, that that type of question reflects more of the culture than it does the biblical theology. So when I'm thinking about success, and, and even the word success is problematic. Right, yeah, right? yeah. Um, because success comes out of the consumer right, right. world. Mm-hmm. And success is about winning, and success mm-hmm. is about who's bigger, and success is about, you know, whatever, whatever definition of success. But, it, but Americans like winners. Yeah. We like the successful. Mm-hmm. And so how we define success becomes really important. I would tend to think more about faithful. And I was just having this discussion mm-hmm. with a group of ministers um, yesterday, the day before, actually. And... When I'm thinking about faithfulness, and I'm drawing on some of that conversation, I'm thinking about how did this, how did this moment, how did this gathering um, form me into a better person? How did mm-hmm. this gathering become a means of sanctification for me? You know? Or how did this gathering generate relationships for me? How, did I, how was I able to express relationships or deepen relationships or begin relationships in the context of this communal event? If, this, if it's about community and, and building community, 
was I able was that part of the part of the event itself was that part of the rationale of the event was that part of what the event was doing mm-hmm. and, and I think that that is really important relationship building uh, and uh, or at least having opportunity for connections it's also about sanctification becoming a more mature person does this community did this assembly stir me up to good works mm-hmm. did it did it put out there for me a call, an invitation to participate in the mission of God? Uh, it, that is really important to me. Not, not did it, not did it make me feel good, or right. not that it did it um, was it successful because it's a thousand people or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's did it stir me up to do good works? Did mm-hmm. it form me into a better person? Did it connect me in relationships? to build relationships in the body of Christ. And it seems to me, most importantly, I think all those are byproducts of what is most important, is did I encounter God there? Was I open to God in that Mm -hmm. moment? Did I encounter God? How did I see God in that assembly? Where was God in that assembly? How can I identify it? Can I identify it in in the tears I saw this person over here? Can I identify it in the word that was spoken and called me into greater faithfulness or greater service or whatever it was. Did I, did I enjoy that? I don't want to use the word enjoy, although I think there's an appropriateness to that word. Yeah. Did I have a sense of God's presence at the table and a gratitude? Did I, did I sense that? Did I experience that? What did I experience? And if, was I open to experiencing it? I think that's another part of it. Because mm-hmm. if I come in with a consumer attitude, all right, do something to me. Yeah. You know, do something. I'm, I'm waiting. Prove yourself. If I come at it with that attitude, I think it's never going to measure up ultimately. Yeah. But if I come at it with the attitude, I'm coming here to seek God and to enjoy the community of my brothers and sisters. And that could be 10 people or it could be 1,000 people. It can be 70 people or 200 people. The number doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. The number does not matter. Not when it comes to what we're talking about right here. The encounter with God and sanctification and relationships. Um, now, we want more people, for sure. Nothing wrong with that. I'm all for that. But it, the number in the assembly doesn't matter. Let me, let me tell you why, why it doesn't matter from one angle. From one angle... If I'm gathered with 20 people or 30 people, which a lot of churches are 30 and 40. And I'm not just gathered with them. I'm gathered with the whole church all around the world. Mm-hmm. In other words, we're not just 30 people here. We are millions. Because what, yeah. where we are gathered is not just in this space I can see with the four walls and a roof. I'm gathered in the heavenly reality. I'm gathered in the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, this is Hebrews 12, 22 to 24. And I'm gathered not just with the saints I can see. I'm gathered with the saints all around the world. And I'm gathered with the angels who I can't see. And I'm also gathered with all those who have gone before us. Mm -hmm. That is the spirits of the righteous made perfect there in Hebrews 12. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So the sense of assembly is not, okay, I'm coming here to get something. No, I'm, 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 I'm coming here so that you can convince me I should come back. No, I'm coming here to seek God and to be present with the people of God and to enjoy the communion with God and others. One of the things, uh, you know, one of my grief rituals is to go to my son's grave on Easter morning Hmm. before dawn. And I'm sitting at my son's grave when the sun comes up. Hmm. And so I'm grieving. But it's Easter morning. I'm grieving, but then I go to church. Hmm. Then I go to an assembly of God's people. And I hear the word of hope on Easter. Mm -hmm. And... When I'm, I don't go to the grave to visit my son. I go to the grave to remember, to grieve, to pray. But if I want to visit my son, I go to church. Ah. Because we're gathered. I'm gathered with him there. I've been lifted up by the Spirit of God. I worship in the Spirit. We've been lifted up by the Spirit of God into the throne room of God. And gathered in the throne room of God is not only the angels and the church from all over the world, uh, my son's there too. Wow! And you know Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are there, and Paul yeah. and Peter are there. People we've loved are there, and that's where I gather with them. So the assembly I go to, and I want to use that word enjoy again because I think it is a joy. But I, I go to enjoy the communion and to see God, and to encounter God. Yeah. Now, there's that text in Exodus 24 where Moses and Aaron and Adab and Abihu and the 70 elders are up on the Mount Sinai and they've sacrificed the animals and they're eating and drinking. And the text says, and they saw God. Mm-hmm. Or in the breaking of the bread in Luke 24, and their eyes mm-hmm. were opened and they saw Jesus. Yeah. I think that's what can happen in the assembly. We can see God when we are gathered together. We need eyes that are spiritually attuned. We need eyes that are open to seeing, not closed by our consumerism, but open to the transcendent and to the mystery. And that is present. That mystery is present whether we're 10 people or whether we're 2,000 people. There's no difference between 10 people and 2,000 people gathering when it comes to God's transcendent presence and what God is able to do among people. Wow. That's really powerful. Wow. I wish we could all come into the assembly with those eyes. And, and you yeah. know, sometimes I don't have those eyes. Sometimes right. I'm coming to the assembly and I'm I'm distracted or, you know, I'm, I'm looking for something else. Or, But in, in our best moments, it seems to me, we, we come into the assembly looking for God. Yeah. Seeking God. <laughs> Yeah, as you were talking, I was thinking that that there's a certain responsibility that we take on um, when we approach the assembly that way. Because uh, when we approach it as consumers, there's no real responsibility. It's just, did I like it? Did it feel good? Yeah. You know, but um, you were still using a term enjoy because it's still valid. But there's that extra responsibility we take in, which is not just did it not is it making me feel good, but is it forming me in the right ways? Is it actually right. making me the person I'm supposed to be, not just the person I want to be? Like we have to be attuned to 
whether uh, what what the vision that the Bible casts for us, and yes. to then be able to say, is this worship service forming me in that way? Because there might be one with better production value that's forming me in the wrong way, and there might be this humble little country church that's forming me in the right way, or it could Absolutely. be the opposite. But we have to take on the responsibility of coming to it with that right. that mentality, coming to it looking for the right thing, not just the immediately satisfying thing. Yeah, I, I grew up in small churches. And I still, I guess if you're going to ask me, I, I would say I value small churches more than I do mm-hmm. large churches. Because mm-hmm. I think those, those things I talked about, formation of character, communal relationships, uh, a sense of being stirred up to good works. That, that for me is what happened in small churches. Yeah. That happened in small churches in my life. Uh, and, and the transcendent God was still was present in those mm-hmm. communities. And we worshiped together and God was present and delighted. God, God was delighted with those 40 people. <laughs> gathered yeah. on that Sunday. I, I think we we get and I and I preached for a church in North Philadelphia that was like sixty people, you know, for several years, and I can remember feeling discouraged. I can remember th- feeling that, mm-hmm. um, but I wish I had known then what I think I know now. Hmm. Maybe I wouldn't have been as discouraged, yeah. because as I gathered with those fifty or sixty people, one of the things I can remember now is God is loving this. God is enjoying this, right? Yeah. God's delighted with us. Yeah. And why don't we just love on each other and love on God and while God loves on us and and just enjoy that communal moment? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm preaching on John 6 this Sunday. And Mm -hmm. you've just reminded me of a lot of the passages a lot of the verses i've been working through which it's interesting that that's a passage where jesus's church shrinks he comes out of it with Uh, fewer people and it's all over the fact that he won't give them what they want he will only give them what they need like they come to him with that consumer mentality and they they want the bread that they think they need he says don't work for that bread work for the bread that actually that you really do need that brings eternal life and they just they don't want they, they want him to give them what they're looking for, not mm-hmm. what they really need. And um, he loses a lot of people over that. Yeah. A consumer is ultimately going to be disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people leave church because they're disappointed. Now, some people leave church because the church disappoints them. Mm-hmm. That is by their abuse or, or whatever, yeah. you know. So not everybody who leaves church is a consumer. Don't don't hear me that way. Yeah. Um, because sometimes there are good reasons for leaving certain communities. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're a consumer and you're coming to church, ultimately it's going to disappoint you. Yeah. 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 So I like that. I like your point about there in John 6. They were looking for another meal, you know, mm-hmm. uh, rather than looking for the life that Jesus was offering them. I think. We've experienced that a lot lately. I think the church went through its own kind of big sort over the last few years when we found out that uh, just a lot of people ended up switching churches over things like political persuasions and do I look like or vote like or act like the people around me? And um, 
it's just I think a lot of that. Now I saw some people in our church um, who were, you know, who, we, some people that started coming during COVID. And I feel like it was because they were looking for a place where they felt like they were mm-hmm. growing. But also I, I know just a lot of people who uh, we just found out what was really holding our churches together in some cases, which was the coalitions of, of beliefs and, and th- things that we matched on and not necessarily we weren't there because we thought that church was forming us to be like Jesus um, because that wouldn't have changed during COVID. Right. 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 Mm. I think that's, I think, yeah, COVID created some introspection among ourselves. Okay. Why am I doing this? You know, mm-hmm. what, what is it I'm after? What, what is, what is the value in this for me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's important, it's important to, to think through that and to reflect on yeah. and pray through that. Yeah. Well, hey, I feel like we could just keep talking about this topic for all day, uh, and I yeah. would love that. But we, uh, as you said, we both have things that we <laughs> have to do. Um, <laughs> and so I will let you go, and um, we are, and we'll just have to wait until uh, Memorial Day weekend and then convention at the end of June um, to be able to hear from you uh, and talking more about about these topics. Um, I'm well, very you, much man. looking, I'm very much looking forward to, um, hearing from you at the convention and I'm, I'm so glad that you'll be, um, there as one of our speakers taking us through Ephesians. And so I would encourage anybody who is listening to go to our website, which I'll put in the show notes, um, nwchristiannetwork.com slash nwcc to find out more about the convention and to register and that'll be june 27th through july 2nd Um, john mark thank you so much for spending this time with us and i look forward to seeing you this summer yeah thank you very much for the invitation and i'm anxious to be in portland again in oregon and enjoy the enjoy the nature there yes absolutely all right god bless thank you much god bless you Thank you. This episode was produced by the Northwest Christian Network. Theme song is Simply Beautiful by Scott Riggin. The Northwest Christian Network is a network of Christians and churches gathering together to serve the kingdom and cast their net across the Northwest. Find out more about our ministries and events at www.nwchristiannetwork.com. I'm Matt Holmes. Thanks for listening.